0: Okay. Uh, while my reader is preparing, um, just want to remind us that we are still continuing on our series on Genesis, uh, from Genesis chapter twelve to twenty-four. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And let's start with prayer. Father, we thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever and ever, Lord. Father, we commit this time into your hands, O oh Lord God, and we ask, O oh Father, that Lord, as we immense ourselves into your word, that Lord, you will speak to us, that Lord God, you you will open our hearts, Lord God, so that Lord, we will have that understanding, that deeper understanding of your word, O oh Father. Lord, I pray that your word will fall into into good ground, Lord God, that it will not fall into barren ground. Lord, you say your word will not return to your void, or oh Father, but it will accomplish every purpose that you send it, O oh Father. And Lord, you say that every scripture is God-breathed, Lord God, for correction and teaching, Lord God. I pray, O oh Father, that, Lord God, as we dwell into your word, Lord God, that, O oh Father, it will teach us, it will help us grow, O oh Father. Lord, I pray that you touch our every heart, Lord, and that, Lord, will not be the same, O oh Father. Lord, we worship and adore you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. <coughs> um, okay.
1: Genesis, That's a bit mad. Genesis chapter 13. Then, oh, actually, could I? Genesis chapter 13, then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar where he had made there at first. There, and there there, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot, who also went with Abram, had flocks and herds of, and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, "Please let there be no strife between you and me, and be and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right, or if you go to the right, then I will take go to the left." And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself and all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you, your descendant and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved to his tent, and went and dwelt by the terebinth of the trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and and, and built an altar there to the Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for that great reading, Spu. Okay, so over the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at Genesis chapter 12. So we pick up from where Abraham had gone up to Egypt and where Pharaoh had given him many gifts because of his wife, Sarai. However, the Lord had dealt severely with Pharaoh And his household because of Sarai, leading to Pharaoh driving Abraham away from Egypt. But when he left Egypt, he did not leave empty handed. He was already blessed, he was already rich. Uh, Pharaoh gave him even more riches. Uh, That meant that he and his nephew Lot were extremely wealthy. So when we look back to that time, Livestock was uh, used for different things. It was a valuable commodity that people would use for sacrifice. They'll use for tent material. They'll use it for clothing. They'll even use it for food. So they'll sometimes trade that for other goods and services, which means their livestock was a vital commodity that needed to be looked after and looked after very well otherwise their wealth will diminish. So on his return from Egypt, Abraham and Lot were both very wealthy in terms of livestock, meaning that the land could no longer be able to support the both of them. So because of that, a dispute arose. It did not arise between Abraham and Lot, but it arose between their headsmen. Where they were, they were not the only people that dwelt in that area, but there were other people who could be looked at as the enemy against them because they they would fight them for for their livestock, they will fight them for, for their possessions. So instead of them coming together and uniting and fighting against the common enemy, the headsmen started fighting against each other. That ended up causing a rift between Abraham and Lot. Does that sound familiar at all? Today, there is a lot of conflict that arises within the church. Instead of focusing on fighting our common or our greater enemy, we are fighting against each other. John writes in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes not to... The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we need to be looking that when we fight against each other, we are leaving ourselves open to the enemy. The Bible tells us that the thief comes to steal and to steal. He will take every opportunity when we are fighting against each other. The the, the enemy will seize that opportunity. I saw a video of uh, two animals that were fighting. They were of the same uh, species and they were fighting against each other. And as they were fighting, a lion was creeping, approaching, but because they were so concentrated in their internal fighting they did not see that lion as it approached and and crushed on them and one of the of those animals uh, got attacked by the lion and unfortunately we know its fate after that so similarly if we are fighting against each other uh, uh, within the church we are leaving ourselves open and the enemy might sneak in and cause havoc from inside Rivalries within, rivalries and arguments and disagreements among believers can be destructive in three ways. Number one, they damage goodwill and trust, they damage goodwill, trust and peace, the foundations of good human relations. And in the absence of good human relations, we do not have a church but we have a place that is full of gossip, that is full of slander, that is full of backstabbing. We cannot fulfill the purpose for which we have been sent if we are in such an environment. Number two, they hamper progress towards important goals. Believers are focused on conflict rather than focusing on building the kingdom of God. So the Spirit of the Lord does not dwell in such a place. And where the Spirit is not there, then those that are in that place are held captive. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just, by, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this is where the Spirit of the Lord is. But if the spirit of the Lord is not in our place of of, of worship, if it's not in our place of gathering, how then can we be transformed? Because that spirit does not dwell among us. So we need to be looking at ourselves and striving for unity, making sure that we are holding together, making sure that we are not being hampered from progress because we are fighting against each other. And number three is they make us self-centered rather than love-centered. So there is, in the modern day, there is a lot of teaching or there is a lot of talk about individualism within the society that we live in. You hear people, talk, people talking about self-love. It's more about me. It's more how I can improve myself. It's more how I can make my life better. But we, we tend to forget what the Bible teaches us. And in John, if you look at John 17, uh, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He also prayed for the church, which is us that we may be united, that we may love one another. And he also, in, in John chapter 13, 34, he gave a new command. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love if you have love for one another so the the key is having love and that love is the love that Jesus has loved you with it doesn't compare with the love that you have for somebody else because we cannot we cannot even begin to comprehend the amount of love that Jesus showed on that cross when he died for us So in order for us to be the salt and the light, we need to stop the the, the petty fighting and we need to practice that love that the Bible teaches us about. We need to be focused on loving one another. If you don't know how much Jesus has loved you, Jesus has loved you this much. By him... Hanging on that cross and him saying it is finished. He became sin for you. So that your sins may be forgiven. And when the father looks at you, he does not see the sin that is in you. He sees Jesus Christ that lives in you. So in order for you to be seen through the eyes of Jesus, you need to turn away from the ways that you are living and live the way that Jesus teaches you to live. Apart from doing that, you'll not be able to live the life to the fullest. So going back to our passage, Abraham, being the older and the wiser one, took the initiative of circling the dispute between Lot and himself. So he gave Lot the first choice. And he said, you choose Whatever you choose, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So the Bible tells us that Lord took that option and he chose the very fertile land in the plains of Jordan in the direction of Zohar, an area that was well watered. It says it was like the garden of the Lord. So Lot looked at the resources And did not look at the source. So let me explain one thing here. We've got only one source, which is our Heavenly Father. And our Heavenly Father then provides us the resources that then help us to live. So the pasture, the fertile land, was not the source, it was just a resource. Your job is not your source. Your income is not your source. Your health is not your source. All these things are resources that help you to be able to live a life that your source provides you. And if we focus too much on the resource, God has got the ability to dry up that resource to show that he alone is the source. When God spoke to Abraham, uh, if we go back to chapter 12... Didn't want to dwell too much on chapter 12 because uh, we've spent quite some time on it. But when you look at verse 2, no, verse 1 rather. The Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. He says, get out of your country and from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And what did did Abraham do? He took his nephew with him. So, when we look at the scripture in in verse 13, the, the instruction had been clear, but because he had, he had taken the place of Lord's father. He felt he needed to talk to take Lord with him, and now the, he has to separate himself from Lord and listen to what God says. When Lord has left, God then says, "Now look at the land. Look to the left. Look to the right, or look to the east. Look to the west. Look to the north, and look to the south." And all that land, you see, as far as your eyes can see, that is your land and your descendants' land, and it is permanently yours. So God had to wait until Abraham separated himself from Lot before he confirmed again his blessing on on Abraham. So, what is the lot in your life today? What is it that God has told you to separate yourself from? It is a time to make a choice and separate yourself, and then you'll be able to enjoy God's blessings. You'll be able to have that blessing activated in your life. And when you make that choice, where do you? Where do you choose to live? Are you choosing the fatal land, which is a resource? Or are you choosing God, who is your source? It might be that you have chosen the resource. You have chosen to live or to work in, in, in Sodom. That is fair enough. You might think that you are strong enough to resist temptation. But not everyone that is around you will be able to resist that temptation. The Bible says we must not be equally yoked with non-believers. We need to be yoked with people that are the same as us, that will be able to encourage us. We need to ensure wherever we are that we have got support structures to ensure that we are well supported. We, we, we can continue that walk. We can do the calling that we have been called into. If we're not careful, we might become complacent and become part of those people that we are trying to reach out to. Therefore, it is important that we stand together as brethren and we pray for one another. The Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. And you cannot sharpen yourself if you are are standing alone. You need to have people around you that will help you to sharpen yourself. You'll have people around you that will encourage you and don't ever think that when you go away from where God says for you to go, that you will, you will uh, struggle. Because God will make a way in even the most difficult situation that you may think of. So just remember that God is your source. Everything else is a resource. Our God is a God of provision. When we rely too much on a resource, God will stop the resource to prove that He alone is the source. If you would turn with me, please, to First Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17 from verse 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from that brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So what had happened here is Elijah had just declared a drought uh, before King Ahab and for three and a half years he said it was not going to rain. So he's declaring that drought but he's not exempt from the drought because he's living in that land. However God being a God of provision commands him to leave that area and go to a place where he will show him. And God is testing his faith. He goes to the brook, and when he's there, God commands ravens. If you go back to the Old Testament, what does it say about ravens? They are the dirtiest of animals that should not even be touched. But God commands those, those ravens to provide him bread and meat. So he is taken the worst of the situation and make it the best to show that he is God. So Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, the ravens brought bread, brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So he had bread in the morning and he had bread in the evening. That happened every day without fail. He didn't have to worry that where is his next meal going to come from. And it happened after a while that that brook, that brook dried because there had been no rain in the land. So that brook was a resource, it wasn't a source When the brook died, the word of the Lord dried, not died. The word of the Lord uh, came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so, so she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. So here is Elijah being sent to a widow, and that widow has got nothing but a little flour and a little oil to make one meal, and that's the end of it. And Elijah says to her, Do not fear, go and do as go and do as you have said, but make a, make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and make And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. So it's just a small jar of flour and it's a small little jar of oil. However, because God has touched it, they become bottomless. You know, when you go to a restaurant and you order drinks and they say it's bottomless, that means you can go as many times as you want and it will not run dry. So here we see God providing another resource for Elijah. And as as the woman went, she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. The bin of flowers not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord. He, Elijah had spoken. So, no matter what situation you may be facing today, just remember that God is your only source. We need to trust only Him. His word says it is impossible. The word says it is impossible for Him to lie. It also says. It might be impossible with men, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. It's not some things, but all things are possible. Jeremiah, in, Jeremiah 32, 26 to 27, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too hard for me? He is our God, the God of all flesh, the God who created everything that you see in front of you. And nothing, absolutely nothing, is too difficult for him. So he's calling upon you this morning. He's calling you to make a choice. He's asking you to come and lay your burdens before him. It doesn't care what it is that you might have done. It doesn't care where you, have, you might have been. Ruth shared earlier on that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you might have done, but you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You need to come to him and confess your sin. You need to come to him in repentance. He says... In in Psalm 103, "For For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Today, God has said before us, life and death Blessing and curses. And he's calling us to choose life. It says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have said before you, life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he saw to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that same call is there for you. He's saying, choose life. Choose life today that you and your descendants may live. Looking at the signs, the Bible tells us about what is happening all around us. It is a sign that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you were to die in the next 24 hours, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Do you know if you are set for life? The thing is, if you miss heaven, you surely will not miss hell. I'm not saying this to scare us, but I'm, I'm saying what I'm called to do, which is to tell us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You might want to put it off for next time, but there might not be a next time. So today is that day that you make a choice, but be sure that you choose life. There are some people that say, uh, what if I find out that there is no heaven? It is better to find out that there is heaven and be destined there than to believe that there is no heaven and find yourself in hell. So I'm, I'm calling out to you this morning. If you're not sure where your life is destined, this is an opportunity for you to make things right with your Lord. This is the opportunity for you to choose that life that I've been talking about. So what I'll ask us to do is to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning that needs to make that step, I would like you to slip your hand up. The Bible says, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will also be ashamed of you before the Father. So we don't want when that day comes for Jesus to say go away you evil doer as I never knew you. But we are looking for him to say well done good and faithful servant. So if that is you this morning, I would like you to put your hand up so I can pray with you. Okay, uh I'm going to give us that opportunity now to pray. Uh, If you could pray with me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that your death was for the forgiveness of my sins. I come before you this morning And I repent of my sins. I ask you, O Lord, to make me brand new. I ask you, O Lord, to help me turn from my ways so that I will walk with you. I give my life to you. And I make you the Lord of my life. I invite you to come and dwell in my heart so that I'll be yours forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.